0: Welcome back to the Book of Mormon with Grandma. Chapters 23 and 24 talk about the destruction of Babylon. Babylon has two meanings. One is the actual ancient city of Babylon that at one time was a center of learning and science, but was also a center for great wickedness. So it kind of became a symbol for wickedness of the world, and it became the spiritual symbol for Satan and his followers. Richard Draper, a professor at BYU, said this about Babylon. Babylon incarnates arrogance, pride, and insatiable corruption in opposition to God and His kingdom. It stands in contrast to the heavenly city, the New Jerusalem, where the law of God thrives. The arrogant Babylonian mistook lust for joy, sought happiness through passion, and pursued security through materialism. Today, many still seek to find heaven through drugs, lust, money, success, or power. People continue to try to escape the deadly round of daily life through material and immoral means. God has provided a solution. Flee Babylon. The command demands a complete severing of relations. God allows no association whatsoever. There is good reason. Babylon is not to be converted but destroyed. He quotes Jeremiah here when he says, We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her. Any that linger in Babylon will be taken with her plagues, for after today cometh the burning, and I will not spare any that remain in Babylon. That was Richard Draper. We talked about this at great length in Revelation and how Babylon would be destroyed when the Savior comes back. We have to flee from it, from them who are in Babylon. No dawdling in Babylon. Isaiah refers to these days as the day of the Lord. In verse 6, he says, How ye for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. The day of the Lord means the judgments that are going to come upon the wicked, but those judgments will not just be those that come because of war, though certainly there will be war, but also those that come because of natural disasters and plagues. The Lord will use both means to punish the wicked, those that come from heaven and those that are on the earth. But it also will mean a reward for the righteous. We see what will happen, though, to those who see those things happening. We were talking about this the other day when we were reading Isaiah, and it said they'll run to the caves. So if they see that happening, why aren't they repenting? This is back in verse 7. Therefore shall all hands be faint. Every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames." I laughed at something Ashley sent me the other day. It was something President Hinckley said in a conference. He apologized for it being warm in the conference center, and he said, We know it's warm in here. We're sorry. Then a pause, and he said, You're not nearly as warm as you will be if you don't repent. And then he laughs. But that day is going to be a tough day for the wicked. But the Lord's promised us if we're prepared, we won't need to fear. So what are we doing today to flee Babylon? something to think about of, of your own lives. okay on to chapter 24 and we're still talking about the fall of Babylon. This is the only place in the Book of Mormon that we hear the name Lucifer. We know that he is Satan, but his name in the pre mortal world, premortal world was Lucifer, which means light bearer. He fell from the presence of God because of his rebellion, and so now Isaiah is using what happened to him in the pre existence and comparing it to Babylon in the last days. This is chapter 24, starting in verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy My heart I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will set also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now, these next two verses always make me smile. This is starting in verse 16. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and shall consider thee, and shall say, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, and made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, and opened not the house of his prisoners? This tyrant that once afflicted us so much, and at times caused us so much misery, and took so many prisoners in his wickedness, will say, really, this is him? This is the man that's now powerless and defeated? In the end, he loses. His kingdom will fall. We're very lucky that the Lord has given us this knowledge. He will be sent to outer darkness, and we will see that he is no longer someone who can afflict us anymore. This war we're fighting with Satan was started in the preexistence and just has continued here on the earth. Andrew Skinner says it this way, This is the longest war ever on earth, lasting 6,000 years now. The final battle is still ahead, and we are assured that good will always prevail. President Ezra Taft Benson talked about the character flaw that caused Satan to fall from heaven. This is what he said, In the premortal council, it was pride that felled Lucifer, a son of the morning. In the pre-earthly council, Lucifer placed his proposal in competition with the Father's plan as advocated by Jesus Christ. He wished to be honored above all others. In short, his prideful desire was to dethrone God. That was in April 1989. He also wrote a talk in 1989 called Beware of Pride. He said some things that remind me that I need to watch myself lest I become prideful. The talk is long, I'm sure everybody has it by now, but I'm just going to quote some of it, but even this is kind of long, so bear with me. But sometimes in order to see what pride is, we have to recognize it in ourselves. Here's what he said. This is one of the major messages of the Book of Mormon. Mormon gives the answer in the closing chapters of the book in these words, Behold the pride of this nation, or the people of the Nephites, hath proven their destruction. Pride is a very misunderstood sin, and many are sinning in ignorance. In the Scriptures there is no such thing as righteous pride. It's always considered a sin. Therefore, no matter how the world uses the term, we must understand how God uses the term so we can understand the language of Holy Writ and profit thereby. Most of us think of pride as self centeredness, conceit, boastfulness, arrogance, or haughtiness. All of these are elements of the sin, but the heart or core is still missing. The central feature of pride is enmity—enmity toward God and enmity toward our fellow men. Enmity means hatred toward, hostility to, or a state of opposition. It's the power by which Satan wishes to reign over us. Pride is essentially competitive in nature. Our enmity toward God takes on many labels, such as rebellion, hard-heartedness, stiff-neckedness, unrepentant, puffed-up, easily offended, and sign-seekers. The proud wish God would agree with them. They aren't interested in changing their opinions to agree with God's. Another major portion of this very prevalent sin of pride is enmity toward our fellow men. We are tempted daily to elevate ourselves above others and diminish them. The proud make every man their adversary by pitting their intellects, opinions, works, wealth, talents, or any other worldly measuring device against others. In the words of C.S. Lewis, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. That was uh, in his book, Mere Christianity. Okay, back to uh, President Benson. The proud stand more in fear of men's judgment than of God's judgment. What will men think of me weighs heavier than what will God think of me? Some prideful people are not so concerned as to whether their wages meet their needs as they are that their wages are more than someone else's. Their reward is being a cut above the rest. This is the enmity of pride. Pride is a sin that can readily be seen in others but is rarely admitted in ourselves. Most of us consider pride to be a sin of those on the top, such as the rich and the learned looking down on the rest of us. There is, however, a far more common ailment among us, and that is pride from the bottom looking up. It is manifest in so many ways, such as fault-finding, gossiping, backbiting, murmuring, living beyond our means, envying, coveting, withholding gratitude and praise that might lift another, and being unforgiving and jealous. Disobedience is essentially a prideful power struggle against someone in authority over us. It can be a parent, a priesthood leader, a teacher, or ultimately God. A proud person hates the fact that someone is above him. He thinks this lowers his position. Selfishness is one of the more common faces of pride. How everything affects me is the center of all that matters. Self-conceit, self-pity, worldly self-fulfillment, self-gratification, and self-seeking. Another face of pride is contention. Arguments, fights, unrighteous dominion, generation gaps, divorces, spouse abuse, riots, and disturbances all fall into this category of pride. The proud do not receive counsel or correction easily. Defensiveness is used by them to justify and rationalize their frailties and failures. The proud depend upon the world to tell them whether they have value or not. Their self-esteem is determined by where they are judged to be on the ladders of worldly success— They feel worthwhile as individuals if the numbers beneath them in achievement, talent, beauty, or intellect are large enough. Pride is ugly. It says, if you succeed, I am a failure. If we love God, do his will, and fear his judgment more than men's, we will have self-esteem. Pride is a damning sin in the true sense of the word. It limits or stops progression. That was Ezra Tuff Benson. It's hard sometimes to see ourselves as being prideful. We think we are not, and yet there are so many areas in which we can be. He said pride affects all of our relationships, and that our degree of pride determines how we treat God and our brothers and sisters. The antidote for pride is humility. The scriptures say we can be humble ourselves, or we will be compelled to be humble. I find that often I have to constantly do a self check on how I'm doing with pride. We see it in the world, we hear it on TV. But sometimes we fail to look inward to see where we are struggling with it. Remembering that what God thinks of us is more important than what the world thinks of us will help us stay on track. So, until next time.